Happy New Year, everybody, and welcome to episode 35, CART Therapy. I am Dr. Christopher Fasano. He is Dr. Yosef Gannett, and this is the Stem Cell Podcast. Happy New Year, Yos. What Happy up, man? Happy New Year to you. Uh, we're back, going strong. Uh, I'm excited. This is, a, this is a different topic for us. We're uh, normally the neural guys or biased guys, and we try not to be, but uh, just that's how it just happens yeah, to be, I guess. We're making a conscious effort to not be, but um, I, I, I'm really excited about it, too. I mean, Yosef's been... Yosef's been talking about this uh, CAR, which is chimeric antigen receptor T-cell therapy. Uh, it's a way to kind of hijack your immune system to kill tumor cells. Does I get that right, Yosef? Yes, perfect. Um, and and uh, so we're going to have a postdoc, our first interview of the year. I'm excited to bring a postdoc on, Maria uh, Themely. I hope I said that right, from uh, Sloan Kettering and Michelle Satterline's lab. And she's going to tell us about that technology, kind of where it stands and kind of you know what her project is there. So... Um, very cool topic and a really hot biotech topic. I was looking it up right now, Yos. There's a lot of new companies popping up, uh, yeah. public yeah. companies you can invest in. Yep, exactly. Um, so that's really cool. How was your new year, man? Was it good? Oh, it was great. It was uh, just watched the ball drop and uh, had a little champagne and yeah. Nice. Perfect. Yeah, I did too. I didn't, you know, I kind of, I'm a I'm a dad now, so my, my, my New Year's is uh, put the kid to bed and kind of go drink in the on the couch uh so we had a couple people and we hung out it was fun i'm um, looking forward to this year with the podcast we got a lot of cool things coming up in the uh first and second half uh, really the first half of the year um you know we are the stem cell podcast and we are the official podcast of the isscr the international society for stem cell research and you know in june they have the meeting the big isscr meetings in stockholm sweden uh you can go register now go to isscr.org and Click on the uh, meeting tab, and you can you know you can go there and and, and register. You got to register early to get your discount. Yos and I will be there. We'll be we'll be broadcasting live from the floor. ISSCR Central, uh, pulling people aside and and doing interviews. So that'll be awesome. We can spend free part of our summer. Too. If you want to stop by, we're going to be giving out some. Yeah, we'll be giving around those cool T-shirts. Yosa's got us on right now. I can check it out through the Skype. <laughs> Looks good. I got mine too. It's great. Um, you can you can buy a. You could buy them direct from our site, and some of the proceeds go back to help fund the show. It's uh, stemcellpodcast.com. You can also go there and uh, sign up for our um, – uh, basically, it's a newsletter we send out. The newsletter has all the, the episodes that occurred uh, in the time spanning the newsletter and all the links to all the, uh, um, you know, the, 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 the topics in the Science Roundup that we talk about. So it's a really nice way to get – uh, those things into your email. We don't really, we don't spam you. We just send you those so you can get more updates on what episodes have come out. And every month we will select um, somebody at random and give away a t-shirt. So go on to stemcellpodcast.com and check it out. Send into your email, stemcellpodcast.gmail.com. Uh, and at Twitter and Facebook, uh, same handle, stemcellpodcast. Uh, let's see. Oh, I want to do this, Yos. Um, I'm happy to announce that we will be doing the uh, now third annual Next Gen Stem Cell Conference this year in May. Oh, yeah. Um, nice. Saratoga? Th this is in Saratoga, New York. This is a conference that we started. Um, the lead sponsor is STEM Culture. Uh, and we put this on for younger scientists focused on grad students, postdocs, and young investigators. Um, it's, a, it's a really kind of intimate, casual setting. Um, where people can exchange and not feel kind of, you know, these big meetings, it's very intimidating. This is much smaller and it's, it's just, 
it's much more loose. I, I think it's also because we have a lot of opportunities to have a couple drinks, so it kind of lowers everyone's, uh, you know, they kind of are, are more willing to talk. We have a lot of round time where you can just get on a microphone and just say, like, what's the deal? Like, what's that about? And everyone's very comfortable. I, I, it's a really great meeting. It's a really great forum. I encourage everybody to go. If you're interested in stem cells, if you're a younger scientist in the stem cell field, registration is not open yet. It will be shortly. It's on May 6th and 7th. And you can check out last year's agenda, um, last year's meeting in the speakers and what it looked like at nextgenstemcell.com. There's also a little video there with interviewing some people that attend and to talk, they talk about why they really like the meeting. So uh, go check that out, and I really hope that you'll come. We'll give you more details as it, as it uh, unfolds. Anything else, Yos? No, that's it on my end. So let's get into the science roundup. It's brought to you by Thermo Fisher. You can uh, go to our website, stemcellpodcast.com. Click on the banner there for the 24 hours of stem cells on, on demand now. It's all on demand. You can go and hear all these talks about stem cells. We're going to be working with Thermo Fisher a lot in the next, uh, you know, in this year, but really in the next quarter. And we will bring you uh, kind of more things through them. We're also going to be interviewing a scientist from Thermo Fisher on the next interview. So we'll hear a little bit about what they have going on in their science. So I'm excited about that. Okay, so with that, Yos, we'll start the roundup, man. Go ahead, bro. Uh, there was a science paper discovering that fat cells below the skin help protect us from bacterial infections, so part of the innate immune system, which we may get into with Maria uh, later. So they uh, these fat cells produce antimicrobial peptides like cathelicidin antimicrobial peptide or CAMP. Uh, so CAMP helps fend off invading bacteria and other pathogens, and they used Staphylococcus aureus uh, exposure in mice with or without adipocytes. And uh, those that had them, uh, the fat-producing cells, uh, were exposed to uh, the fat layer in the skin, and they detected within hours major increases in the number and size of these fat cells at the infection site. Uh, so this this fat defense is part of our innate fat immune. Defense. Yeah, yeah. So uh, that you can find that over in science. There was a cancer discovery paper using six thiodG, uh, which is a telomerase inhibitor, uh, to disrupt the cell's biological clock and kill cancer cells and shrink tumor growth. Uh, so uh, cancer cells use telomerase to sort of. It's the the caps. It puts the caps on the end of DNA. So um, it's one of the things that uh, cancer cells hijack in order to increase their uh, cell growth. So uh, by using this telomerase inhibitor, uh, it's uh, not normally used in telomeres. This in, uh, this compound acts as sort of like a alarm signal for cell damage, and so they saw little side effects in the blood and liver and kidneys of the mice that received this uh th this telomerase inhibitor disruptor so you can find that in cancer discovery interesting i have a paper to talk about in my roundup about that in stem cells telomerase inhibition keep going sorry interesting nice nice uh, a lot of cancer stuff right now yeah i know right so speaking of which uh there was a science paper describing that cancer is caused by bad luck uh, yeah, that just sucks, by the way. I know. You kind of wished it was like, oh, you smoked or you drank. Yeah, or like you just got to, you just, you were born into bad genes. I can even accept that. Yeah, yeah, that it seems, well, uh, this one's just dumb luck, apparently. 
So they looked at uh, the number of stem cell divisions in 31 tissues and compared these rates uh, with lifetime risk of cancer in the same tissues among Americans. And basically what they found was that the correlation between the total number of stem cells divisions and cancer risk is 0.804. So closer to one is like near perfect correlation. So it correlated pretty well. And um, so stem cells divisions, basically they attributed, I think it was like 60% of all cancers to this basically bad luck in cell division and not really to behavior of the patient. So for instance, colon tissue undergoes four times more stem cell divisions um, than the small intestine. Uh, and therefore, colon cancer rates are more prevalent than small intestine cancer rates. Uh, so 65% of cancer incidence is just random mutation in genes that can drive cancer growth. And uh, yeah, that kind of sucks. It's kind of unfulfilling, wouldn't you say? You, yeah, really, really is. <laughs> you're like, man, it should be more uh, behavior. but um, Something. Yeah, it doesn't mean that behavior doesn't add a risk factor. It's just not as huge as one might expect. Uh, so there was a PLOS biology study showing that macrophages are responsible for activating skin stem cells and induce hair growth. So uh, they also produce wint. And what doesn't wint do? So that's... Of course, a- of course they do. Yeah, PLOS biology. <laughs> I'm just waiting for that wint cream to just rub on my head for... I want like, some wint yeah, cream. I'll take yeah. it now. I don't even need to know. I'll take it now. <laughs> I need it for that uh, little bald spot I'm developing. Um, Put a little Windex on it. Yeah, Put a little wint cream on it. Yeah, exactly. My wint cream. Uh, the drug... and There was a drug and alcohol dependent study of medical rector- records of more than 40,000 people showing that methamphetamine users are three times more likely to develop part Parkinson's. Uh, and for women, this was five times the rate instead of three X, it was five X for women. So, um, yeah, don't do another reason not to do meth kids. Um, you, yeah. Yo, what was the guy trying to make when they, they, they found, was it MPTP? Yeah. What they were the, trying to make, what, uh, synthetic heroin, uh, yeah, back okay. in the day. And, uh, that's a fascinating story. These, uh, f- the case of the frozen patients is yeah, the yeah, book, uh, describing the discovery of MPTP and these, uh, people in the eighties that thought they were doing synthetic heroin and instead gave themselves Parkinson's disease in their like twenties. Some of these people, and they're still alive. Uh, anyhow, I digress. Um, there was a cell paper describing the molecular mechanisms of dietary restriction. Uh, restricting methionine and cysteine results in increased hydrogen sulfide production, or H2S, and uh, pr- uh, protection against ischemic reperfusion injury or interruption of blood flow. So levels of increased hydrogen sulfide is associated with low levels of this is associated with uh, life lifespan expansion in worms, flies, and yeast. So that's a cell paper. You wouldn't think uh, hydrogen sulfide uh, would increase one's lifespan, but uh, the cell paper is sort of pointing towards that at the right levels, of course. Um, There was a FACEB journal study showing that Thy1, THY1, controls whether a primitive cell 
decides to become a fat cell. Uh, so uh, it's sort of like myOD for muscle. This is like thigh one is for fat cells. Um, so it is lost during the development of fat cells and therefore restoration could be t- a target for obesity. And mice lacking thigh one that were fed a high fat diet gained more weight and faster with more than twice the levels of resistant in their blood, uh, which is a marker for obesity and insulin resistance. And wow. interestingly, BPA, you know, bisphenol A and... Oh, I know BPA. Phthalates, you know, those P... Yeah, phthalates, man. Yeah, Bad uh, news bears. Yeah, they reduce thigh one expression in human cells. So that's probably why you got a fat brother, even though you're fit. Maybe he was exposed. Um, yeah, maybe he was yeah. chugging the plastics or his <laughs> mom was chugging the plastics. <laughs> exactly. Anyway, that's not funny, but it, it's, it's, it's true. Uh, so uh, I'm laughing too. I'm not going to use it. It's not funny. But for the record, Chris does not have a fat brother. Um, I do not. Not that, there, I, not that I know of at least. There was a cell paper describing the production of primordial germ cells from human embryonic stem cells. Uh, they use SOX-17, which doesn't work in the mouse, interestingly, to make these cells. So uh, uh, primordial gem- germ cells uh, making the precursors to sperm and eggs uh, using SOX-17. Uh so real quick, I'll just, uh, since I'm running low on time, bring up some of these. These Did you see that James Watson sold his Nobel Prize for $4.8 million? That, and I guess there's some Russian billionaire bought it and then gave him the prize back so he could hawk it again. I don't know what's going on with that. <laughs> yeah, James Watson. I, it's it's so sad. The guy discovered, I think that's the one of the greatest top 10 discoveries of the yeah, 20th and then what did he do he just went on to say that black people weren't as smart as white people yeah that what he said yeah and then he was like and it really hurt my career <laughs> yeah you think so you can't <laughs> yeah. really say something like that and then uh there was uh just real quick uh uh i don't know if you saw that an orangutan uh, orangutan held in an Argentine zoo can be freed and transferred to a sanctuary after a court recognized the ape as a non-human person unlawfully de- deprived of its freedom. I don't know if you saw that uh, headline, but uh, no. orangutans are now non-human persons and have uh, rights to not be, uh, I guess, tested on or uh, held beyond their will. So it's it, I, I just bring it up because it's interesting thought of what is a person and what counts as a person or consciousness. Um, so uh, this, in terms of animal research, is complicated, but... Uh, seems like a court has ruled on the side of the orangutan so uh i'll wrap it up there so uh we could get maria on sooner what do you say uh yeah man so um before i start i'm just seeing this come across my uh screen um kind of unrelated but i know you might know you know Stuart scott he passed away yeah, I saw uh, that know, the ESPN. Stewart, uh, yeah, yeah. Stewart Scott's an ESPN Sports Center anchor. He's one of my favorites. He has battling. Speaking of cancer, he's battling cancer for a long time, and he just passed. So yeah, that sucks. Rest yeah. in peace, man. That's, know, that's that guy was awesome, and I know he struggled for a long time. So let's hope we can get some of these. Uh, is, is it true that his eye cells. his eye got like hit out by a football? Yeah, he was having a catch. Like he had like it wasn't a lazy eye. It's like a crooked eye almost. And, uh, he was not having a catch on the sideline, and someone hit him with a full of like a rogue football, hit him right in the eye, and like dislodged it, and so it was crooked. Yeah, yeah, that was like one of his. I hate to say, it, like his defining features, like you know, like his yeah. look. Yeah. Was it, but he was he was a great he was a great anchor. I didn't know him obviously. Everyone says he's a great guy, but anyway, rest in peace. It's that's terrible. Um, 
All right, the first paper I had to, to, to talk about, Yost, Yost mentioned, this was in Science, the variation in cancer risk uh, is just basically bad luck. Um, you can go check that out. just got press everywhere. Um, I, I found that really fascinating. I would have never guessed. But um, All right, so let's see here. Yost also talked about this one. Uh, I'll, I'll talk about it a little bit because I, I, I go through it a little bit more. This is um, this paper. It was in Cell by Asim Sarani, and this is the germ cell paper. Um, what's really interesting about this is that, you know, they've been trying to make these germ cells for a while, sperm, egg, because obviously the implications for that would be tremendous. And while they say they did not actually make sperm and egg, that they made the uh, germ cells, which can go on to make that. So this is a, a really crucial step in, in doing it. I'm looking at this news report on it, and there's this Petri dish, or like a, it looks like a T25 flask, with some weird stuff in there, man. It looks like disgusting. I don't know what that is, but mm. if that's... It says create artificial human sperm eggs from stem cells. Um, if that's true, uh, if that's what they have in that dish, it looks like a tarantula or some weirdness. <laughs> uh, I don't know. Anyway, uh, check it out in Cell. It's a really, uh, really big discovery. The next paper is out of Cell Stem Cell, I believe. Yep, Cell Stem Cell out of the lab of Stephen Lane, Claudia Brood. Brood- Brudijam? <laughs> I think tried. I said that right. You Probably really not. <laughs> Sorry, everyone out there, if I just hacked your name. Telomerase inhibition effectively targets mouse and human AML stem cells and delays relapse following chemo. So AML or is acute myeloid leukemia is a very aggressive and lethal blood cancer, and it's maintained by a rare population of these leukemic stem cells. They call them LSCs. Um, so selective targeting of these LSCs is a promising approach for treating AML. And preventing relapse, which is really the problem, I guess, with AML following chemo. Uh, so they show that targeting tel- telomerase activity can eradicate AML LSCs or these stem cells. Mm-hmm. And genetic deletion of the, tel- the tel- telomerase unit subunit TERK in a retroviral mouse AML model induces cell cycle arrest and apoptosis in these stem cells. And depletion of this tel- telomerase deficient LSC is partially re- rescued by P53 knockdown. Uh, so... Um, they do this in xenografts and stuff like that. So they 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 have they say that these results establish uh, telomerase inhibition as an effective strategy for eliminating AML stem cells, uh, cancer stem cells. Yo, so, you know everyone keeps yeah. talking about it, uh, and so maybe this is uh, the year of uh, cancer and stem cells. Maybe we're going to see something really strong come out. Uh, let's see. The next one was in stem cells, and I'm reading from uh, a website, and this is. The title is Pure Stem Cells Let Mice Fight Off HIV. So this is an improved gene therapy strategy used, um, basically using modified human stem cells as a functional cure for HIV. Uh, So they devised a gene therapy strategy to generate an HIV-resistant immune system in patients. Uh, So they use three HIV-resistant genes using a viral vector. They insert these genes, and they confer HIV resistance into the human genome into the genome, I'm sorry, of human hematopoietic stem cells. Um, and so the genes, I don't know this, Yost, there's three. They act on different aspects of the infection. One prevents HIV from exposing its genetic material when inside the cell. Mm-hmm. Another prevents HIV from attaching to target cells, which is the one I was always familiar with. And the third eliminates the function of viral protein critical for HIV gene expression. So in combination, these genes protect against different HIV strains. And so... Um, so after exposure to HIV, the mice given these bioengineered cells avoided two important hallmarks of HIV infection, a drop in human CD4 cells, um, <clears throat> cell levels, and a rise in HIV virus in the blood. So this is a uh, uh, paper in stem cells. This is basically going along the idea with the Berlin patient 
when a guy who had mm-hmm. uh, who was HIV positive, he had leukemia, and they gave him a stem cell transplant from a patient who was immune to HIV, and it basically cured him of HIV, the uh, recipient. And so this is moving forward in the field of HIV. That's very cool. Um, all right, so the next is in cell stem cell. I'm going to make a prediction for 2015. Yo, link RNAs is where we're going to go this year. I feel that uh, link RNAs, long non-coding RNAs, I mean, one of those things just kind of hanging out there. Everyone sees them, but nobody knows what they do. <clears throat> and I really feel that they're going to explode onto the scene this year. This was a paper. So stem cell link RNA maturation to initiate heterochromatin formation in the nucleolus is required for exit from pluripotency. So um, I guess the open chromatin of ES kind of condenses. It's just blah, blah, blah. I mean, I don't really want to get this is kind of like hardcore. Um, but they find that the maturation of the long non-coding RNA or links... Uh, is um, of the long non-coding RNA, pRNA is required for establishment of heterochromatin at ribosomal RNA genes. Mm. Um, and this process is inactivated in pluripotent ESCs. And so they say that their findings unravel unravel the nucleolus. I don't know if they mean that literally or like as a story unravels. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, finding un- findings unravel the nucleolus as an active regulator of chromatin plasticity and pluripotency and challenge current views on heterochromatin regulation. Uh, all about the link RNA. So check that out in cell stem cell. Um, sorry, I had a cough. Turn my microphone off for a sec. This is in stem cell reports. Restoration of progran- progranulin expression rescues cortical neuron generation in an IPS model of frontotemporal dementia, or FTD. FTD. So, F- sorry, Yos? No, FTD. Go ahead. Yeah, FTD accounts for 50% of dementia cases before the age of 60. And up to 40% of FDD patients have a familial history due to, due to mutations in MAPT, which is a microtubule-associated uh, protein tau, and progranulin gene, GRN, and, or uh, C9ORF72, which we've, we've oh had boy. a bunch of people on the show talking about really ALS. with ALS. Yeah. And so um, here, what they did was they created um, IPS cells um, from patients carrying this gran, gran, progranulin mutation, and they were faded to cortical neurons um, and the cells that were mostly affected. And they say the generation of neuroprogenitors was effect, unaffected, but their differentiation into cortical neurons was significantly decreased in the progeny, and they go on to show that it has something to do with wind signaling. You know? mm. uh, so you can check that out in stem cell reports. This is from PLOS One. New type of Sendai virus vector provides transgene-free IPS cells derived from chimp blood, chimpanzee blood. So here, we know that you can use uh, viral vectors to generate IPS cells by putting in KLF4, OC4, SOX2, and such. Here they developed, and Sendai is what people are using now because it's non-integrating, so it doesn't get into the DNA. Here they developed a new vector. It's called TS12KOS. Which has approved efficiency and does not integrate into the DNA and can be easily eliminated. So it's one vector and it carries KLF4, OC4, and SOX2 in the single vector, and it can easily generate IPS from from human blood cells. Um, so they have a new way to do it. They say is more efficient and it's just kind of one vector. So I know that will get some attention. Um, Any way you can increase efficiency. Let's see. Stem cell tolerance, induction, and reversal of diabetes in mice transplanted with human ES-derived pancreatic endoderm. We all know that you can create islets from pluripotent cells, pancreatic islets. The hope is that you can transplant them and they'll kind of help out diabetics. This is a type 1 
diabetes kind of therapeutic, uh, and it's an autoimmune disease, uh, and basically T cells destroy the insulin-producing beta cells in the islets. Uh, so uh, here uh, they basically di- kind of differentiated uh, ES cells and transplanted back and see some uh, benefit. Uh, so you can check that out. The final the last author is Jeffrey Bluestone. Bluestone, I like that name. Yeah. And uh, Gregory Zott is the first author. So this is in Cell Stem Cell. Uh, let's see here. Do I have anything else? This is kind of a weird week with the holidays. Oh, let me just end here. I thought this was kind of, I don't think this is kind of funny, but it is. You know, we like, we put an end to staff in our last episode. Yeah. So I was reading this the other day that they think now that the staff cells were most likely embryonic stem cell contaminants. Probably. So this is what, this is what the hypothesis is, is that uh, all, it says that, in, that the so-called staff, uh, st- stimulus-triggered acquisition of pluripotency cells, as well as the chimeric mice and teratomas supposedly derived from those cells, all originated in cultures contaminated with embryonic stem cells, a fact that, ref- a fact that refutes all of the main conclusions of the two papers. Oh, man. I mean, that's like the most likely thing, right, that happened? Uh, that's, um, that's the kind, you know, way of saying, oh, it was an accident, but it could also have been just... They accidentally fell in by accident, you know, even though I don't know, it seems it says it says the committee determined that three supposed staff cell lines were actually likely to be three previously existing ES cell lines. And it's unlikely that there was accidental contamination by three different lines. And it is suspected that the contamination may have occurred artificially. However, the panel cannot conclude, find conclusive evidence of deliberate contamination. Is, is deliberate contamination a contamination, Yost? No, it's not, right? It's not contamination if it's deliberate. Yeah. Um, so we cannot, therefore, conclude that there was research misconduct. Wow, imagine that. Imagine you were like coming up with a new method to make pluripotent cells, and you just wanted to rig it, so you sprinkle a little ES in there, and you throw some Coca-Cola in there, and you're like, oh, look, man, look, they're ES-like. That's that pretty much like, what happened. If that's what happened, that's some devious stuff right there. Yeah. Anyway, all right, let's, uh, let's, let's end the roundup. Brought to you by Thermo Fisher, and let's move to the next segment. Okay, Chris, why don't you bring on our guest? Okay, so we're going to start the 2015 year of the Stem Cell Podcast by interviewing a postdoctoral fellow. I really love that, Yosef, because uh, the postdocs and the grad students are the ones doing all the work in the lab, and the postdocs are really at the forefront of the lab getting things done and as they transition out to, to possibly start their own lab. So we have uh, Dr. Maria Thamili from uh, Michelle Satellin's lab and Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center right across the street from where Yos is now, where I was as a postdoc. Um, she received her MD and PhD from the University of Patras Medical School, Greece, and she's received uh, numerous accolades in her in her young career, um, including a clinical scholars fellowship at M- MSKCC, and recently a uh, NICEF Drucker Miller Fellowship Award, um, which is a really prestigious f- uh, postdoctoral fellowship award. Um, and it has a really uh, great list of people who have gone through that program, and it's really, really uh, a great, a great honor. So, nice we're, New York Stem Cell Foundation. Yeah, the New York Stem Cell yeah. Foundation. Yeah. Yosef always corrects me when I abbreviate. <laughs> Acronyms, Thank you. yeah. Um, so, we're, Maria, welcome to the show. How are you doing? Uh, hello. Happy New Year to everyone, to you guys and everyone who is uh, listening. Uh, I'm very well. Just uh, returned from my vacation <laughs> to New York, back to work. Back to work and back to the cold New York City. Uh, Happy New Year to you. Um, so, great. So, 
Listen, why don't we start? This is where we always start. Um, why don't you give uh, our audience, uh, you know, a little kind of what's the focus of the lab, and then tell us a little bit about the focus of your project in in the lab. Uh, yes, uh, sure. So I'm working, as you said before, in Michelle Sadeland's lab. Uh, Michelle Sadeland is a world-known uh, scientist uh, working for many, many years now in um, uh, establishing a chimeric antigen receptor therapy, um, immunotherapy for cancer, uh, among other um, works. Um, we also have a part in our lab that uh, works with um, uh, treating uh, uh, treating genetically uh, uh, beta thalassemia major, um, and we have launched uh, clinical trials in uh, both uh, uh, aspects uh, of our lab. Uh, I am working in the uh, immunotherapy part, and uh, when I started, uh, the idea was to uh, combine uh, stem cells with immunotherapy. Uh, it was a uh, actually uh, something novel at that time um, because when I started uh, there were not even uh, iPS cells from blood uh, so um, it was uh, a really really ambitious project at that time and this was reflected by the fact that uh, every uh, application that I was doing for fellowship or grants, it was declined because of uh, too ambitious projects. <laughs> wow. Look at <laughs> yes. that. That's a problem right there. But yes, continue. Yes, so that is a problem that um, uh, actually uh, I was uh, asked uh, once in the New York Stem Cell Foundation uh, to, uh, to say my opinion about the funding. And this is the first thing that I said. It's like, okay, stem cell research is uh, really uh, innovative and uh, you have to get used to fund things that are going to be really uh, ambitious. If not, then uh, stem cell research is not going to be uh, um, advancing. Um, so that was a parenthesis. <laughs> you um, know, I'm just going to say, I'm sorry to interrupt, but you, you, if you're not ambitious, nothing ever gets solved. I guess that's what I would say. But anyway, we I guess the, we can have that debate with reviewers at a time. Go ahead. I'm yes. Sorry. yes. <laughs> so right now, um, when I, uh, I started, um, uh, things were not going very well for Two years, I have to say, because I struggled a lot to make uh, the IPS from uh, uh, T lymphocytes, uh, then to differentiate uh, the IPS back to T lymphocytes. Mm. I had to genetically engineer uh, those IPS to express the chimeric antigen receptors. Uh, can, which are, are, yeah, yeah are can you explain that? That's going to be the, the, the topic, uh, uh, th this CART therapy. That's what we're going to name this yeah, episode. Exactly. So can you exp just go through that? So that's what you said there, the the the, C, uh, the chimeric antigen receptor. Is it technologies or T-cells? So the chimeric antigen receptor is a, um, a new technology, is an artificial um Receptor. It's an artificial molecule that is uh, made uh, uh, by combining parts of proteins that uh, exist inside the T cell normally. So, uh, in a T cell uh, normally has a T cell receptor to recognize antigens, right? And this T cell receptor has uh, um, interacts uh, when binds to the antigen. It interacts uh, with uh, other proteins uh, receptors uh, that. Uh, 
give an uh, extra function uh, to, the active, to activate the T-cell and then to make the T-cell to proliferate and then make the T-cell to survive and uh, eventually have the factor function to kill. Okay, so a chimeric antigen receptor uh, had the purpose to combine all these functions into one molecule. So antigen recognition, activation, and then stimulation for proliferation and survival. Um, so with this uh, we can uh, lentivirally or retrovirally infect uh, T-cells, and uh, this uh, would give the T-cell with extra antigen recognition and function. I, I like to think uh, of this as like you guys are tr you guys are programming assassins essentially for the, in the immune system to because T cells are just such great killers you you you're you're training them to recognize a certain target is is that exactly. a fair uh, translation? <laughs> That's correct, Joseph. You just train the T-cell. This is the correct word to use. You train it to recognize a target, and then you train it to respond to a target in a certain way, the way that you want to. So you put uh, inside your molecule the specific domains that will give a certain function. Mm. That's so cool. It's like hiring a hitman in the body. It's so cool. <laughs> I know. These perfect really, killers really cool. Sorry, that we have in our bodies. And, so, uh, yeah. And it's not only cool. It, uh, lately, uh, uh, in the last... Um, Ash um, uh, meeting uh, in last December, uh, there were, uh, I don't know, I think it was 50-60% of the talks uh, that were talking about chimeric antigen receptors and uh, the clinical trials that are now going on, not only in Memorial Sloan Kettering, but uh, in UPenn and uh, the NCI, they have shown a very, very good so uh, it, uh, results. Is is M Michelle Saddling your uh, your advisor? Is he uh, the one the first papers? Is this it, where is this technology coming from? Who who was the first to demonstrate this well, as an idea? Well, as uh, as uh, Michelle uh, Saddling himself would say, is that uh, you know we're building on the shoulders of uh, previous people, right? right? So it is difficult to. Um, uh, to locate the initial things. But this um, is a new technology, right? It's relatively new or no? This is a long history. No, it's a long, long history. Okay. You know, the, okay. first time, the first time people started to put uh, a TCR, uh, TCR uh, domain uh, like a, uh, or an antibody uh, recognizing uh, domain and then a zeta chain and it could recognize an antigen but then uh, the function uh, was... Uh, not uh, the one that uh, people wanted. Mm. And then they started putting, everybody started putting things together. And the thing is, uh, the, what exists now is the combination of work from people of the last uh, maybe 12 years. Uh, Michel himself has been working on this, uh, I don't know, 15 years. Or, uh, <laughs> you know, he, has, he was the one, the first one to put... Um, the CD28 uh, co-stimulatory domain, so he was the first one to actually put a co-stimulation in the chimeric antigen receptor. Which makes uh, the T-cells uh, kill which more? Which actually made it function. Okay. It makes T-cells be um, activated more and function better. Because if you put only uh, the activation uh, zeta chain domain, uh, the T-cell will kill, but then will die. 
Oh, oh, I see. So Interesting. So the T cell needs extra signals for uh, uh, for proliferation, survival. Um, it's, okay. it's like a bee sting, Joseph. Yeah. You know, some bees after they sting you, it just dies. Yeah, I, I just yeah, I like that analogy. So I, I just <laughs> want to recap for the audience uh, what you guys or what the idea of CART therapy, which I'm really bullish on. I actually put my money where my mouth is. I'm like invest. I, I invest a little bit in the companies that are doing this because uh, essentially what people can do say you have an inoperable tumor uh what's uh the, the i guess i guess the idea is to take your immune cells program them to attack the cancer specifically and then use your own immune system to tackle say a tumor or something in your body is that is that the overall idea of cart therapy that is the overall idea of car therapy and uh well this is the overall idea of uh, the adoptive t cell therapy Mm. Uh, in general, I see. Uh, people use uh, even autologous uh, T lymphocytes that uh, they can isolate from uh, tumors. So, for example, a person can have melanoma, metastatic melanoma. Mm-hmm. The tumor is excised, and you can take the T cells that exist inside uh, uh, the um, the tumor, isolate them, expand them, and if you give them back to the patient then there is a great chance that these T-cells would attack uh, the melanoma or the metastasis uh, in the patient. Is this a um, normal treatment now, or is that experimental? Is that is that standard course, therapy? No, no, no. This is experimental. Wow. But uh, what, you, you, what you described in general is the idea of adoptive T-cell therapy in general. So you can use also autologous T-cells or uh, anti, uh, cancer-specific T-cell clones from the patient. Mm. The difference of the chimeric antigen receptor uh, adoptive T-cell therapy is that you take these T-cells and you reprogram them. You make them uh, attack the tumor. Um, oh, I see. the difference. Okay. Okay. So, so, so now, so you have this CAR technology, correct? Now, what, what's, what you need then is T-cells. Right, so you need exactly. you need a source of T cells, which is I'm assuming how you got into iPS cells, right? That was the idea. Exactly, that was the idea because um, uh, up to now, um, adoptive T cell therapies um, are used, but their use is limited, and there are many reasons why um, the use is limited. Um, for example, there are patients which, after a lot of chemotherapy rounds, uh, they cannot have expandable or good expandable mm. uh, T cells. So their genetic engineering is very difficult. Um, other cases is that um, um, you can use right now only for autologous applications, right? You take from the one patient and you can uh, reinfuse those T cells back to the same patient. Um, the, I think that the, the IPS or the human cells, with the, their ability to be cultured uh, forever in the dish and the ability to be able to uh, genetically uh, interfere with them, uh, gives us the opportunity to create uh, unlimited amounts of T-cells, which you can um, make, custom make, for uh, a lot of individuals. So that was the idea behind using IPS cells. 
Are you able to purify? I mean, the blood field is so on the fact sorting. Uh, so are you guys able to purify the T cells once uh, you reprogram and then generate them? I, I'm not sure how efficient the process is, but nothing's so- 100% with uh, differentiating. So I, I don't know what, what the, how, how it, I mean, what, what is the efficiency, I guess, is my question. So um, that's a very good question, Joseph, because uh, right now uh, the efficiency is not very good. Mm. So uh, I don't think, uh, I mean, I think we are in very early um, research uh, stages. What what about the markers? If you have a 1% efficiency but a great sorting strategy, it doesn't matter, So that's the thing. Uh, That's the thing. Uh, The moment that uh, we differentiate uh, the cells, the cells that we are able to um, to get, they're all uh, T-cells, expressing a T-cell receptor, and, uh, and especially after one round of expansion, because uh, when you know the antigen that uh, your receptor is attacking, then you can expand, specifically expand those T-cells. So after one round of expansion, mm. uh, you have 100% of T-cells. Well, so you don't have. Uh, see, there you go. That's yes. I thought you said the efficiency was low. Which which efficiency are? Uh, so I'm talking about the, the primary generation, from, right? From, uh, the differentiation right. from an iPS cells uh, cell to T cell. Uh huh. That's low, is, and then you isolate the clone and then expand that, and it's. Exactly. I see. Exactly. Okay. So you you need a lot of iPS cells to start with. Mm. in order to have uh, a good uh, amount of T-cells in the end. I see. That's the only thing. But the fact that iPS cells are uh, unlimited and you can use as many as you want, that doesn't limit um, the the process. I have a know, question for you. Do, the blood differentiations, I have no idea what those are like. Are, are, th- are they adherent uh, cultures? That adherent meaning to everyone out there uh, sitting down on the plastic, not floating. Sorry, yeah, I'm just yeah, clarifying for yeah. people out there. Yeah. So there are uh, different ways uh, that uh, different scientists uh, use. Uh, there is uh, one, uh, let's say, school <laughs> that uh, uses... Um, in the whole procedure, uh, uses uh, feeder cells. Either those uh, feeder cells are OP9 like cells, which yes. are mouse embryonic uh, bone marrow, um, sorry, uh, bone, uh, those uh, uh, stomal cells. And uh, according to this uh, uh, procedure, you just put your IPS or ES cells on top of these feeder cells. And uh, changing media, no cytokines, and in 13 days, you have CD34 uh, blood cells. Wow. Um, Sounds cheap. <laughs> uh, well, uh, it's, it seems easy, but uh, the thing is that <laughs> our problem is that we cannot specify which right. exactly, uh, what exactly is what we are getting. So is this CD34 uh, true HSC, which has not been proven yet? Ah, uh, the true HSC. This is the yes. question, huh? <laughs> as as we've had, we've had um, Daylon James on the show a couple times, and we talk about... Uh, this where does it come from? You yeah. know, and does you know what, what, what's the what's the that we'd like to say? The mega carrier, mega what is it? No, the, the oh man, I forget what it's called. The, uh, the mesonephros, no. the, the mesonephros. 
What's what's that? Mes- oh, the aortic what meson meson I forget what it is. <laughs> oh, the mesonephros. Yeah. yeah. Joseph and I just like to say that word whenever someone <laughs> comes on with blood. We just like to say it. It's very fun to say. Aortogonadmesonephros. Yeah. Yes, that's what it. Is. But so so let's just for the sake of 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 kind of moving this along. But but so the differentiation might not be uh, efficient primarily, and you, like you said, you don't. You don't generate the specific cell type in the blood you like, but you can then kind of prospectively isolate a small population of T cells and expand them up. And so it, by doing that, then you're able to, I imagine you engineer the IPS cells with this car technology, right? Exactly. And, okay. And this is what you, this is what you did, um, and publish in Nature Biotechnology. I, I would imagine for everyone out there who's interested, you can you can find the article um, um, in Nature Biotech. And and what you showed there is that you can combine IPS technology and this car technology. Um, and here you generated T cells targeted to an antigen expressed by some sort of malignant B cell. Correct? I think it was uh, CD19. If I'm getting this right. Um, yes. And you show that those T cells then can actually inhibit tumor growth um, in, a, in, a, in a kind of a xenograph. So, yes. so the technology, at least in the initial stages, can work. You can, you can take IPS cells, use this CAR technology, uh, and target a certain type of tumorigenic or cancer cell and actually inhibit uh, tumor growth. So um, that's... Awesome, right? So, the, tell us now, kind of where that stands, and where where you where where you're going with this, and and kind of what's what's on the uh, horizon for this. Okay, so um, after finishing uh, this uh, paper that you just described, we came up with uh, uh, you know we were not finished. We came up with certain problems, and uh, one of the problems was uh, that. Um, uh, the, the cells that we were getting were more similar to uh, innate, uh, what we call innate lymphocytes. Um, some, I would have to explain here that uh, uh, the lymphocytes that we have in our uh, uh, in our body uh, they can be uh, adaptive or innate. So the innate system uh, consists of uh, the NK cells, the natural killer cells, uh, the gamma delta T cells, and they are uh, cells that actually attack uh, immediately. So they are the cells that uh, would uh, sense uh, a tumor or an, uh, an invasion from uh, microbes and would attack immediately. The first the line of defense, I guess you would say. They're the, the quick actors, the first line of defense. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly, and then they ad- they call the adaptive system, which is the T, the, the alpha beta T cells and uh, uh, B cells, and then they um, they call all this system, uh, which acts afterwards. Okay, acts um, in a later time point, and uh, but eliminates uh, the invasion. Okay. So we came up to, uh, we did the microarrays in our uh, T cells that we uh, uh, made in vitro, and uh, we found that they had a signature that was most similar to innate cells. Mm-hmm. And that was a problem. Yeah. And uh, so our uh, a problem, it's not necessarily a problem, I have to correct myself. <laughs> mm. <laughs> well, it, it's not a problem, it's just not ideal, right? It's Isn't... not ideal, yes. It's not a problem because. Uh, they are good killers, 
and uh, I and in theoretically in the future, if someone uh, would uh, uh, produce uh, industrially produce uh, uh, such uh, T cells uh, in a company, let's say, uh, and you could make them in doses. You wouldn't really uh, absolutely need that uh, they would have, uh, you know, a longer function, right? You could have, like, you have your dose of a drug every every week, let's say, and then you could have uh, every week a dose of your T cells. Mm. Uh, I'm I'm now speaking uh, theoretically future, right? <laughs> Um, so it's not absolutely a problem, but we would like to make it ideal so that uh, our cells will also have a survival and uh, better function and, uh, you know, could eliminate tumors or uh, if it can have a memory as well, uh, would be even better. So uh, this is where uh, the field uh, needs uh, to make uh, more investigation. And uh, this is where I, I focus more right now. To um, to have better functional uh, T cells in the end, um, and also um, I think that uh, uh, this field uh, can also uh, have very good uh, uh, application in having more um, universal uh, universal donor T cells, mm. so that uh, you can have on the shelf, you know. Uh, those T cells that you can give to every individual, and this needs a little bit of more, more research. <laughs> yeah, but I, I'm I'm really bullish on this field. I think uh, in the future, because every tumor or you know has a genetic signature, and now that we could sequence it, we can identify these targets and release these you know killers in our body. These Per highly evolved killers Unleash to go, the killers. yeah, to go after the yeah. tumor in a specific way. Now, w one other thing that I, I'm not sure if you uh, have observed in your experiments, but uh, is off-target effects. Um, are there, uh, you know, as I see this field developing, um, that that does seem to be a major concern. That if you have a target that's expressed by a tumor. But maybe also your kidney cells. Are you also going to lose your kidney in the you know act of uh, creating this this uh, this sort of therapy? Uh, it, how how big is that? Like, can they kill the wrong cells? Is that exactly? Uh, so you got it right, Joseph. Um, uh, now that uh, the efficacy has been proven, right, mm. you know, even in clinical trials, uh, the concerns are about the specificity, right? So uh, until now, we have been targeting CD19, uh, which is uh, a quite a specific target. So it is also only expressed on B cells. And you can see that uh, even in the clinical uh, trials, uh, the, after uh, treating uh, with uh, um, CAR T-cells, uh, the patients have uh, B-cell aplasia. So they have no B-cells in their body anymore. But uh, this uh, can be um, uh, easily managed by uh, uh, doctors by infusions of uh, uh, immunoglobulin, okay? Mm. IV immunoglobulin. Uh, the problem is that uh, if you have another target that, uh, for example, as you said, is also expressed in your kidney or uh, in your gut or in your brain even, uh, how is this going to be managed? Uh, 
So, uh, as you said, you can uh, sequence uh, tumors, yes, but uh, uh, until now, it is very, very difficult to find um, molecules that are only expressed in tumors and they are not expressed in, uh, you know, any other tissue in the body. Mm. That's that's a challenge, and this is a challenge, I think, uh, um, of this field um, nowadays. Are people doing uh, people multiple targets? Like uh, you've got five targets that are the combination specifically expressed by this tumor. So you make five different T's. So, I, I don't know. Are they combinable <laughs> or is it yeah. just going to be an off target mess if you do that? I don't, I don't know. Good. You're one step ahead of me. <laughs> so, um, so in uh, in our lab uh, we have been uh, uh, working on this and um, we have come up with uh, two um, uh, let's say strategies uh, that we propose that can be used uh, in order to increase uh, off-target toxicity and specificity. Uh, so the combinatorial um, antigen uh, approach that was uh, published, uh, I think, uh, two years ago in Nature Biotechnology by uh, Chris Kloss. Uh, he was a student, uh, graduate student in our lab. Yep. Um, so uh, what uh, he proposed uh, together with Michelle was that you can use uh, two antigens that they are both expressed uh, on the tumor and uh, in a... Uh, uh, one chimeric antigen receptor that will have uh, the activation signal uh, will have a lower affinity for uh, one of the uh, antigens. And uh, so it will have a lower impact on the off-target uh, off target uh, tissues, right? Mm -hmm. And the second one will have uh, a, higher activity, a higher affinity, right? Mm -hmm. But... Uh, their intracellular part will only consist of co-stimulation. Mm. This uh, results in uh, recognition of only um, uh, the tumor who has the two antigens together. And only by this interaction, the T-cell will get both activation and co-stimulation. Mm. I don't know if I'm explaining very well. No, no, that's great. So you had the high affinity co-stimulant exactly. and then the low affinity killer aspect? Exactly, okay. yes. Right. yes. Uh, the second approach that we proposed was the inhibitory chimeric antigen receptors. Uh, that uh, in this uh, paper in Science Translational Medicine, uh, first author was Victor Fedorov, another graduate student in our lab, and I was second author. Um, so there we proposed that, uh, okay, you can have a chimeric antigen receptor that targets the tumor, and uh, you can find, uh, and if your, uh, uh, your uh, receptor also targets another tissue, you can find another specific antigen of that off-target tissue, and then you can have an inhibitory uh, molecule uh, in the intracellular domain. Mm. This means that when your T-cell is going to the off-target tissue, you will, ha you will inhibit it mm. by uh, uh, another molecule, right? So these are the two approaches. So, so you have approaches to counter this. So this is, this is something that's obviously been considered and is being, you know... Um, put into this to, to as a precaution um, to to make sure that this will kill 
and you know only only take care of and kill the correct target and um there are steps to be you know that have been integrated here to eliminate off target effects of course there are also uh, suicide genes uh, yeah, sure. that uh, can be uh, introduced but uh, the suicide gene approach uh, which is i think uh, the most um uh how can i say uh, useful right now mm. because uh, um is uh, eliminate it will eliminate all your t cells but uh, i think that uh, the most um uh appropriate way would be that uh, you educate your t cells you don't eliminate them you need them right yes you so, need them so um so i think right now the uh the in the clinic uh, the fastest way is to put a suicide gene, but I think that more sophisticated ways would be needed in the future. Right. So, you know, Yos, I, th- I feel like we can talk about this forever, but we, we should probably move on to some other quick questions before we have to go. This is such a cool, cool topic, and I'm not very fa- I mean, I'm familiar with the basic of topics, so I hope everyone in the audience uh, who's listening finds this just as interesting and starts to look into this field a little more. I know Yosef's really excited about this field. He's been talking to me about it for a while. Um, so thank you for summing up the work. Uh, it's really impressive and very, very cool. And um, with this paper and all this press that I was just reading about, talking about at the beginning of the show about how uh, a lot of cancer is just bad luck. I'm sure you saw this paper and yeah. it's all over the press. Um, hopefully, uh, these therapies are going to come out so if people do have bad luck that we'll be able to uh, combat uh, this. Um, so before before we end, um, a couple things. Uh, you're you're a fellow. Um, we oh, I was a fellow. Yosef's fellow. I mean, so um, there's we know the pros. We know you know there's some of the cons. So I, I guess I would like to ask you: in this country, your experience as a postdoc, um, I, I, people really don't like to hear about the good experiences. People like to know about the bad experiences. So I don't want to ask you what's your bad experience, but I guess I would ask you: um, how would you how would you see if you could change something about your po- uh, postdoctoral fellow experience? What are some things you would like to see changed? Mm, that's a very good question. I, mean, I don't uh, want to put you on the spot. I mean, but I mean, it could be anything from pay me more money to which is a, which is fair to I mean anything. I, and this is this is something we we really need to look at as scientists, especially young scientists, grad students, and postdocs. Uh, we have to really take care of our postdocs. I feel like uh, they are the next generation, and there's a lot of things that are just not very good about the experience. So. Do you have any that stick out in your mind about way things that we might be able to, if we could change, we should? Um, yes, uh, I would say that uh, the fact that uh, when I moved from Greece here, uh, I moved because uh, back in Greece, being a scientist or being a postdoc was not considered to be a proper job, right? Mm. And I came here and to realize that, oh, even here is not considered to be a proper job. <laughs> so, <laughs> so actually, I was expecting to uh, maybe from the society or from the system, I don't know, to be uh, appreciated as uh, I'm having, you know, uh, I'm, I'm a professional, right? Right, I'm, this is a career, this is an actual exactly, job, if you will. Exactly. Um, uh, right now, postdoc uh, is considered to be a transition, and uh, it's like a five-year, six-year period that 
you it's not a proper job it's not the job that you want to have and it's not a job that uh, uh, you are going to have in the future um, so I would say that uh, there are uh, very few PI positions or even you know industry positions out there uh, to cover for all the people who are doing postdocs and uh, I think it's not fair and I think uh, that uh, it would be uh, a good change if uh, there was a, a proper, uh, how can I say, uh, um, having a, a, a postdoctoral scientist as a, you know, as a profession. <laughs> hmm. You understand what I mean? Yeah. How many people are going to go into PI positions uh, and how many are going to go to um, industry afterwards? Then it it's got it it would be a lack of uh, working force if uh, you discard all the other people or they do something else. So I, I guess what you're saying is right now the the postdoc position is just a transitional phase and uh, typically three years and but there's not enough positions to transition into so that this could become more of a permanent position. Exactly. Maybe yeah, someone a senior could scientist. have a career of a scientist. Right? Yeah, I think, I think we talked about this with Varmus. Uh, yeah, Harold Varmus was on the show, and he was talking about of the basically the new era of staff scientists, or you know, kind of. Uh, I don't know what else they're called. They're, they're different at different places. Um, they work in a lab. They're still under the investigator, but you know, they're they're more senior than a postdoc. And not actually an independent investigator, but they they basically can run. They have a program that they're running. It's 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 and, and we 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 said the word kind of a senior uh, or, or something postdoc to Harold, and he he said no, that's not what they are. They're not a postdoc. They're they're you know they've moved past that, but they're still in the lab. They're just a little bit more senior, and I, I'm okay with that. I I really like that idea. I just feel that then we have to take care of that person they have to be paid accordingly they have to be taken care of because um you know the way we pay our fellows now is ridiculous for the amount of training and the amount of work that they're doing the compensation is just not correct so you could not keep that scale of compensation uh for for people if they continue to stay in that lab i i just feel that it gets skewed i agree with you i think the other part of postdocs that uh that that, that the problem that you brought up is most postdocs having to do two or three postdocs nowadays because they end their first one and there's no job so they move to because they feel like they have to they move to another postdoc and then some of them even move to a third postdoc because they're buying time and now it's 10 years and they're out of their they're out of their scientific prime you know they're older and most discoveries are made in your 30s or in your late 20s and so we shouldn't be delaying the age of people making discoveries we should help encourage them to be independent and creative so um I agree. Maybe if there was less of a stigma that the postdoc has to transition, maybe it would allow them to be, be a little more relaxed and just do and discover. Um, exactly. I, I, what you say, relax, is very important. Because if you're not relaxed, uh, I think that uh, your brain is not going to work uh, uh, you know, uh, creatively. Yeah, well, rela relaxation in the scientific world is is, is non-existent, I feel like, <laughs> no matter what stage you are. Because even when you get to an investigator and you're running your lab, the, the pressure there is similar, right? You have to maintain funding, you have to maintain publications, and some people have to maintain tenure track. And so uh, you're constantly, you can't relax 
And, and what I mean by relax is actually use your brain, use your scientific mind, which is what everyone in this country wants scientists to do, right? Be scientists. They don't want us to be a writer. They don't want us to write grants. They don't want us to, you know, they want us to discover. And it's very difficult to do that when you're so uh, stressed about how you're going to get your next funding. So I agree. Relaxation should be a key point at NIH. If NIH is out there listening, can you please uh, put some more money into relaxation? For some- maybe maybe we should get mandatory massage therapy or something like that. Yes, you know, like a spa for every the science uh, spa. Yeah, like the a science spa. spa. I should put that into all. Um, you into- know, I'm I'm coming from Greece, and you know those uh, philosophers. Uh, they didn't have uh, anything else to think about, right? So <laughs> oh. they were creating. <laughs> Yeah, look at the look at the stuff that they can. I wish if I, I always say to Yosef, I wish I could just sit and go to work and just think, and just and just do the experiments on the things that I want to do. You know, I, if I if, it's such a simple idea, but it just doesn't happen because you know you're 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 forced to do experiments on the on the projects that you can get funded, mm. right? Or not necessarily the ones that you think are the most important. And so that's really an unfortunate thing right now. But, um, you know, I, I hear you. Thank you for um, sharing. We're going to add that to the list of postdoc complaints that we have <laughs> long growing. Um, I, so last, lastly, we do a funny story. Maria, we, we talked to Maria at the beginning of the interview. I, I kind of put her on the spot about 30 minutes ago. So do you have a funny story um, from, from lab, from training? It could be back from back in Greece. It could be from uh, in New York. Do, do you have any funny story to share? Oh, that's difficult. If it's not, I think Yosef might have a story. Um, Yosef, do you, I don't know if you have a story about Michelle's lab or something. Yeah, no. Uh, Michelle was on my thesis committee, and one day I went to go visit him in his office, and he was great uh, on the committee. And just... I. I see this stack of papers on his desk and I was like, it was so huge. I was like, what is that? And he was like, you want to do, you know, therapy with the FDA? That's the, that's the form you have to fill out. And it, it, it was like 700 pages. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, where do you start with a 700 page application to, you know, I, I mean, when you're at page 386, are you like, ah, I'm almost... You oh, know, only got passed. 374 more pages <laughs> yeah, to go. Yeah, that's, that's hump day for you? Like, what oh, is- man. Well, uh, one thing is, if you have to make this application, but uh, I would like to meet uh, the actual FDA person who reads the who application. Reads that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know. You screwed was- up on page oh. 480. <laughs> There was that famous uh, the, the 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 talk at the NICEF conference by Geron when they showed their form that they had to fill out, and it was this tr- tremendous stack of papers. It's it's kind of crazy. Um, it, but it, it, honestly, it made me want to cower away. I and just like go into a corner and just be like, "You don't know paperwork. That is paperwork, right there." Yeah, that is I, paperwork. <laughs> I wonder, is it still on the desk? I don't know, Maria. Have you been in the oh, office? Oh, I, I think uh, the the stack is being uh, renewed. Uh, I don't know every second. Yeah, because day. he's got new therapies going in. Good for him. Exactly. Exactly. Good for I, him. And it's, uh, well, the thing is that when I see the, the desktop, uh, okay, uh, I see, I, I feel like, okay, I will never be like this. Mm. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's too much work. Oh, my God. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, great work. Really, you know, thank you for doing this interview on a, you know, on a short turnaround from coming back from vacation. Um, really, really cool. Really look forward to reading more about it in the future. Uh, everybody out there, please go 
check it out. Go read about the work. It's very, very interesting. Um, learn how to un- unleash your killers in your body. Um, so thank you again, and have a great, have a great new year, right? Uh, thank you, guys. It was uh, very nice uh, talking with you. Uh, really refreshing, I have to say. I liked it. <laughs> and uh, I hope that uh, the rest of the people out there would enjoy it as much. I'm sure they will. Thank you very much. Have a nice day, all right? Yes, thank you. Bye. Bye. All right, that was a good interview, huh? That was very cool, man. That's very. I know you're into that, and I, I got to get more into it, but it's, all, it's, it's really, really exciting. And it's really fun when we can talk about killers in the body unleash the killer in you to kill those cancer cells it's a it's a a very simple idea right our body is the best way to fight things yeah we have our own innate way to kill things these assassins have been evolving for as long as there's been humans so why why try to do why try to reinvent the wheel just hide just hire a hitman in your body and let it take care of it yeah one of my the best things i ever did in grad school was take a an immunology course because if you if the immune system's just i mean it's up there with the brain in terms of elegance and complexity it's uh it i mean obviously not as complex but still it's the way it, our immune system evolves pretty much in real time towards targets and just goes after them it's it's really it's almost dramatic i love i love that stuff so i eat it up and i th- i honestly think it's the future of cancer therapy um, yeah, so. no, it's, it's it's really really awesome. So, um, so th- I'm that you know Joseph uh, was able to reach out to to Maria, so I'm glad that he, you did that, and she was able to come on. That was really nice, and I like to start off the year with a postdoc. That's that's good. Yeah, um, we try to get a lot more trainees on this year to to talk to us. All right, so let's let's do a rant here. Um, Joseph and I are going to continue to rant about first world problems here <laughs> with with the iPhone. Um, Joseph brought it up to me and. It's funny because I'm looking at my phone right now. Wait, let me let me just double check the number. Yeah, yeah, right now, this is a this is a rant about app updates. Right now, I have 45 app updates. What do you got? Uh, that's a lot, man. You need to update, dude. I got 45. You know why? Because when I got the 20, I was just like, screw it, I'm not doing it. I, I'm like, I'm like against it. Here's the problem with it: if you don't update it, you it doesn't go away. Like, there's there's no way to tell it to not. I don't want to update. Yeah, yeah. Like, that's the problem I'm having with it. Like, okay, thanks for letting me know, but I don't want to update because if I update all this, it it sucks my memory out. Yeah, and it's like, also like it, they make updates that you don't necessarily want. And no, you're I don't used need to a things. certain format, and then once you update an application, you may lose your login information or like previously saved settings. And you're like, oh man, why every week I have to update, you know, 10 apps. And you know, I think it's so funny is John McCain got like asked when Apple came to Congress and testified in front of Congress. That was one of the questions he asked him and everybody made fun of him. But I'm like, that's actually a perfectly valid question. Wait, he, what did he ask? He asked like the the head of Apple. He was like, "Why do I have to keep updating my phone?" Yeah, really. Every I mean, week? that's like ridiculous. I feel like these people all they're doing is just pushing updates out. Like they mess it up. <laughs> they put it out prematurely. It's got a bunch of bugs, and then they just push updates to fix it. But yeah. every time they push it, I got to download it, and it sucks through my memory. Yeah, and it's also like it, it's just annoying. And I I wish you can just lock in a version 
of what you like. Like I like version eight point two, and I yeah, I'm like don't ever with it. give me anything else. Yeah, yeah, I, I'll update other apps, but this particular app is perfection. Yeah, there's not even a remind me later option. Yeah, you know those like do you want it now or remind me later? No, remind me later. That's annoying, but it's less annoying to do that than it is to look at my phone and have forty six the number <laughs> on my thing. Now I have to go through and really update. Are Are um, you one of those people that can't have like a little like? No, I that, can't. That, on uh, the number of, uh, I, I guess, notifications, that low red dude. number I, bubble. Uh, you, you, no, I can't. I got to get rid of People have their emails at like 4,355. Yeah. <laughs> Does that frustrate you? I'm to just see like, that? what are you doing, man? Like, <laughs> like, why do you even have that email if you have 4,355 things? That's great. That's great. I don't understand why people do that. I sold out of someone's phone the other day, like on their little mail. I had literally like 4,000 emails like that are not read. I'm thinking to myself, like, well, what is that? Is there's that just be, all spam? There's got to be a term for that because I feel that sort of frustration at seeing that number. I don't, it I don't gives know. me anxiety. Yeah. Dude. Yeah, like it's that. like this oh. number 43 on my app is really bugging me out. 46 is really bugging me out, but I don't know what to do because my <laughs> iPhone is old and I don't have a lot of memory. So I, I just, and you know what also happens when I have a kid and when you have a kid, you take a lot of pictures. Uh-huh. So all my pictures are taken up. So if I download them, I, I, I don't know, dude, I, this is my, this is an issue now. I'm really starting to realize <laughs> it's a big issue for me. Thanks for, yeah, thanks for bringing it I out. I love Yost. this first world problem. You know what you got to do is to put that app store app in the way last page. So you just don't see so it when you see it. Yeah. Yes. But what happens is it'll go up to like 110. And then when that happens and I flip the page and I see they'll have a heart attack, I literally <laughs> will drop that. Oh uh, man. All right, it's about time. We know why it happened. So uh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Was, all right, everybody. Welcome rant. back to 2015. We'll catch on the next one. All right. Later. All right, bro. Later.